ManaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Top 8 Magic. I'm your host, Brian David Marshall, joined by Magic Gathering Hall of Famer, Zvi Moshowitz. Zvi, you've got a tournament on the horizon. Yes, I am looking forward to it. I'm also kind of dreading it. <laughs> well, that sounds like it's standard. <laughs> yeah, I managed to draft cycling deck after cycling deck after cycling deck. And somehow they all got seven wins. And I ended up in the top 300 of Mythic. <laughs> oh, nice. Very nice. So if you've been listening to uh, our limited podcast, you would have been armed with Zvi's uh, limited weapon of choice. Although it feels like everybody kind of ended up there who knew what was going on in, in the draft format. What was, uh, what was that dynamic like as you made your way through the ladder in limited? So it was like, if you played at goal, on your way to seven wins, you lose one game to some bunker cycling deck. And then when you were at platinum, you'd play two bunker cycling decks and you'd beat one of them because you also <laughs> had a cycling deck. At diamond, you'd face more like six cycling decks in your eight games. And like most of them would be mediocre because they had been forced decks rather than decks that got bunkers cards. So people would just realize this was the deck you had to draft. And those people who did realize that were the people who were at Platinum. Interesting. So even though the pairing algorithm is such that it, it's constantly putting people together who are of similar rank, it makes no such distinction sitting down at the draft table. Much like in real life, right? Yeah. That makes, that makes total sense. If you, suddenly, yeah, if you suddenly face the top eight in Mythic at the end of the season against each other around a table... My guess is that drafting the cycling deck would be a serious mistake. It would be impossible. <laughs> uh, I actually did manage just today to have the first draft in which I had to bail on the cycling deck. Yeah, I, it's, gotten, it's gotten very hard to um, have the same density of threats and one-mana cyclers and just kind of like the nuts, as they would call it, right? Or the fix, as you might have called it in previous metagames. Yeah, it, uh, it's interesting that I even call it bailing because I started with the the trample enabler, the six five, the, the, the dragon, the six six that gives you additional tramplers whenever you hit. My second oh, pick, sure. and my second pick was the four three because neither pack had a single relevant cycling cycling style card in it. And then I never actually had a cycling deck, but I kept trying to just draft cycling cards. And it'll come, it'll come, it'll come. I'll just splash the green, right? Like no, no. And then it just never came at all. <laughs> I, well, I think that's one of the obstacles for the cycling deck right now is that density of cycling cards is going to be hard to come by because even a deck that's doing something else is still going to want the one mana cycling mind leak or frostbale ambush or right. Like it's still going to want to, you know, shave three cards out of their deck or, you know, just have a, that little extra bit of velocity and maybe some of the incidental cycling advantages that come out of the format, right? Like you still might want a Dranith Stinger as a two, you know, for whatever reason. And then, you know, you get a couple cycles in, but um, the, those, those colorless cyclers essentially 
are good in any deck, regardless of what you're doing. Exactly. I was very happy to have a bunch of one and two mana cycling cards in that deck. I won lots of games by casting. And I also got some of my good cards by cycling. Like, I didn't have much payoff. I had an ominous season and a prickly marmoset, but it wasn't the important thing. Right, right. And, and it's worth mentioning that you are not scared of an abominable mana base like many other people are. You're, yeah, you're know, willing... abominable is a strong word. I had four game lands and two naturalists and two adventurous impulses. I do, I do work. That's the important <laughs> thing. Like, IPA drafts are back on Magic Online, so it's worth briefly mentioning this. Actually, just the idea that, you know, in IPA draft, like, if you have to pick the first pick a common, Harrow is probably your best choice. Oh, sure. Right? Because this gives you a head start on just drafting whatever powerful cards you happen to open and de-pass in the second and third packs. And going first pick Harrow, second pick Fertile Ground, we'll figure it out later, is a great way to be. And similarly, I have been picking the game lands especially Evolving Wilds, which is even better, stupidly high to help make sure I get there. And when you have to bail or splash for powerful cards, that's a huge advantage. Right. And, and sometimes the hampering snare or the whatever fumes or the, you know, the memory leak, they're going to be exactly the card you need at that moment. And your mana works out such that you're able to play them. Uh, you know, and it's really nice when you get that little bit of serendipity where this card you were including in your deck basically as a cycling one suddenly transforms into this perfect tool for the right job. Yeah, even cycling twos, you can't always get your cycling ones. And like, right. I, I had a deck with one that won multiple games, I think, by playing plus seven, plus seven and force blocked off of a single game land. <laughs> It turns out when you put that on Lurus, you gain 10. <laughs> you remove their best creature, and the game's kind of over. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, all of the deck had Lurus, so it wasn't that close anyway, but that's separate. <laughs> that's another issue. Okay, so uh, so you got the Mythic, top 300. It means you're qualified for the standard tournament. Uh, I have been streaming a... a you know, a fair amount of standard for the Channel Fireball Magic Fest online events. And I can tell you that uh, standard is very pet friendly right now. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what your experience has been, but it I is. Played, I have played a few matches and I just, I, I played like yesterday. I took out the, the Yorian Bant deck for a ride, and the deck does powerful things, and then I played a mirror, and then 20 minutes later, I really didn't want to play Magic anymore. Like, <laughs> I mean, there was plenty of interesting, you know, theoretically interesting stuff going on, and there were plenty of different dynamics, and like, you know, I'm sure with time, I could learn to play it reasonably, but you know, just playing these 80-card monstrosities and abusing Elspeth Conker's death against, against someone else abusing Elspeth Conker's death, over and over and over again, and like these, uh, just how, how do we get eighty card decks that play the same way every game? How did that even happen? <laughs> have you had a chance to see the Yorian Luker Coppercast uh, Copperclad Outcast deck yet? Uh, not much in action. I saw it briefly today. I do feel good about. I put Luke at number one in my set review, and I was getting worried that I was wrong. And I'm no longer worried. I was very wrong. 
Like, I, I mean, Shark Typhoon is the obviously correct number one, but right. like, because, you know, Luca is definitely going to end up in the top 10. Yeah. Well, this deck uses both of those cards. It's basically a Yarian deck. It runs a bunch of no creatures main deck uh, other than the Yorian and the companion slot and somewhere between two and four copies of Agent of Treachery. And yeah, I, find, I find it interesting that Agent of Treachery is the creature people have decided on. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but, you know, I would be somewhat tempted by something gigantic. <laughs> What's that? Right? I'd be at least somewhat tempted to do something gigantic. Sure. Just kill people. It's a thing. Uh, I guess it's very hard without other creatures in play to take advantage of the giant creatures to kill people. Right. And also right. you can, in a, in, you know, the deck is still a fires deck as well. So you can just, it's very reasonable for this deck to get to, turn, you know, seven lands and be able to just put an agent of treachery into play. And, you know, maybe even reset it with Yorian. And, like, I think the synergy with Yorian is really what pushes it over the top. Oh, yeah. I mean, Yorian being Yorian. Like, it's not just that you get a 4-5 Flyers. You get to reset all of your cards. And so you're playing against these decks that are just gaining all of this incremental advantage. And if you leave them alone for a second or you just grind a bit, they just suddenly reset a bunch of cards. And suddenly they're up three cards. And, you know, if you can't really play Magic any other way. Right. In an important sense, right? You either have to try and go under them and try to go completely through them by a wilderness reclamation, or why are you even playing this game? And so, you know, I just if you want to play regular magic, you have an 80 card minimum now, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the cards that are showing up are really, you know, if, if it wasn't, if, if Urian wasn't so ubiquitous right now, it would be really exciting. A lot of the cards that are showing up in the decks. So, um, one of the all-stars in this Jeskai Yorian deck um, with Luca is Omen of the Sun. Um, right. Yeah, you know, tokens. Tokens. yeah you, you, you make tokens, you have things to sacrifice to Luca's minus ability. And by the way, I've just seen that card actually just do work in terms of people's life totals. You know, like kind of like softening them, softening up the, you know, the opponent to, to get them within range of killing them with a Yorian or, I mean, also Omen of the Forge is in that deck. And, you know, you start to just get this really weird little value engine going with these draft staples. Yeah, I'm a little skeptical about Omen of the Forge particularly, uh, but Omen of the Sun does a lot of good work. I think Omen of the Forge is a you know, just a cheap answer for that deck that they can still get some value that has some synergy for them, but also gives them a, a cheap answer to a flourishing Fox or a Valiant Rescuer. Yeah. just That, the, that, that seems like it's really, really under the, behind the eight ball against the Zenith Flare deck. Yeah. I was going to, I was strongly considering playing that deck just because I feel like how many mistakes could I really make? I have plenty of hands-on experience with these cards already. Sure. And one way or another, it'll all be over and I can get back to my family. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll hate life somewhat less than I would otherwise, right? Which is always important. <laughs> yeah, I gotta tell you, I am, uh, I, I was in the booth with Reed 
uh, for for this week's Magic Fest online thing. And we were both really just kind of impressed by the Zenith Flare standard deck in terms of how resilient it was, right? It feels like it's like this very much this one trick pony when you look at it on paper, you know, especially when you see 12 cards that the deck can never cast in the main deck, you know, you're like, okay, well, this is, this is clearly just the new aggro deck that I just have to figure out a way to beat. But it's, it's really not. The deck has, can attack you on multiple fronts, you know, going wide around the Valiant Rescuer, um, kind of pinging you with the Drenith Stinger and then finishing you off with the Zenith Flare, um, just grinding you out with a Lurus, right? I mean, Lurus is the reason you have to play these weird cards, right? Because you can't play other cycling one cards. They're technically illegal. Like, but you have to play these cards you actually can't cast. <laughs> Pour one out for the Vantasaur. Yeah, the Vantasaur is so sad about this stupid <laughs> Like, I was supposed to get a chance, man. The coach was supposed to put me in, and the coach did not put me in. Yeah, the coach was like, Frostbale Ambush, you're up. <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah, Fr Frostbale Ambush is like, what? No, I, I don't have a helmet. I wasn't I wasn't ready. I didn't. I wasn't expecting to play. I'm out of shape. I I don't do anything. Don't worry, you're in. And also, you're never in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're what we call a decoy. You see, he might be healthy. You might yeah. throw to him. Maybe you have to counter him, and then you don't. <laughs> your your job is to make sure I don't cycle any cards I might be able to play. On the first two turns of the game, right? Let me make I, easy I, decisions. Like I, I, I made a life decision that I was not going to wait till end step to cycle anymore. <laughs> like I'm just done. If I don't if constructed, if I'm bluffing a legitimate card, I might actually have. That's one thing. But in limited, I am never, ever, ever going to have one mana back in a frostbill ambush. I know I'm cycling and say, you know what? He doesn't need to know this yet. I can keep this a secret. Maybe I have a trick. Like, no, sure. we're done. And if you do that, by the way, you are the asshole. <laughs> I mean, honestly, generally, I find that if you're submitting the question, am I the asshole? You generally are. Um, but that's, yeah. the, that's a whole other podcast. I have sure. to look on the am I the asshole Reddit, which exists. Yeah. And it's like legit. And a surprising number of people were told they were not the asshole. I will put it that way. <laughs> not, not, not that I specifically disagreed with the decisions that they were not the asshole in the particular contexts, but it seemed like people were actually deliberately choosing situations in which they were pretty clearly not the asshole and asking about oh, okay. them, which is not how it usually works, right? Usually you ask it because you clearly are the asshole. Right, right, right. Um, just talking about, you know, the, the cycling thing, like, just used, you know, it's like, oh, I have the mana, I'm going to cycle. It it feels like the pattern changes a little bit with the constructed deck. When we were watching people play, there were multiple people who held off a cycle one on turn one based on matchup and cards in hand. So... You mean, you mean cycling one even of a card that like, doesn't actually play, right? Not cycling for the Correct, correct basically realizing that their plan was going to be to go wide with uh, Valiant Rescuer. And 
preserved all of their cycle ones in hand to be able to just toggle them back and forth starting on turn three. Yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely, if you have the first three lands already in your hand, right? Because otherwise, right. you kind of have to cycle. Yes. But if you have the first three lands in your hand, you should be seriously worried about flying. And you shouldn't be that worried about not having enough mana. And, you know, your one mana spell of trigger all my stuff is kind of the spell you just want to keep casting. So it makes perfect sense not to waste it in case you run out. Right. The, yeah. the other thing I noticed is that game two and game three introduce a different type of flood screw, which is non-cycling sideboard flood. You know, yeah. we saw multiple people bringing in three, four, five cards out of their sideboard that were all very, you know, kind of like narrow, like uh, fight is one or whatever the like white charm is that kills an enchantment against fires. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or um, even something like Fry, which obviously is, is, is a fine card to bring in in certain matchups, but actually not being able to execute on their game plan because they ended up with four cards in hand, three cards in hand that were just stuck there. And the game state didn't give them an opportunity to play them as effective sideboard cards. And so it was, it was really interesting to watch. And I, I feel like there are probably a lot of games where if you're, so, if you're thinking about sideboarding more than maybe two cards, maybe you want to think about just keeping it to two or not even sideboarding at all because, you know, your game plan is so um, powerful that I, I'm just scared to disrupt it. Narset Parter avails. Sure. What do you, like, this is my no, experience is that you have to have a solution to Narset I was playing the version with blue, so you know I would just try and counter it, but which is also much less narrow, right? Like the chance you can't use that is not that high in most of the places you bring it in. Right, right. Uh, so you can bring in like four of those and two fries, and I don't think it's that scary. But it's definitely a risk. I mean, your other risk is that you just you have a bunch of second cards and nothing is happening, and you just lose. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I I thought that uh, Improbable Alliance was doing. Pretty good work. I'm I'm skeptical that you want to give it up. Improbable. Which one's improbable? Oh, like, I like the, 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 the you get the fairy every turn, right? Like oh no no that wasn't that that's not what I that's not what I've been seeing. I, I've been seeing the uh, it's the one mana you know a human you control gets plus one plus one and indestructible and right, that's fine as one. I meant like in the main deck. Right? Just, I, I like having the blue. Sure. I, it feels to me like the blue is worth it. Doesn't mean that it, the record results bear for it out. Maybe it's just not worth it in the end. But I was definitely liking it. Uh, that also makes it like much less weird to hold the cycler because now you can play a tap line and save yourself two life by holding the cycler. Sure. Most of the time, or play a trium. So either way, you feel comfortable. But yeah, I just I definitely want something that will play reasonably aggressive slash quick, unless I can find something really cool. I did spend some of the last half an hour trying to build an Abridged Ultimatum Urian deck. <laughs> okay, interesting. Uh, I think you would. I think you would really, really like the deck that Nasif top aided with last weekend. 
the the copper cast copper clad outcast uh, Yorian deck. It, it really it it seems like it seems like quite a sweet little little deck that gets a ton of value and um, has a lot of cards you already love and have had success with in the standard format. Yeah, I'm sure I'd be fine. Yeah, but it's it's kind of is it everywhere at this point? Like, you know, it's funny. So it it definitely top aided over the weekend, and we saw uh, Mike Sigrist also playing it to a finish just outside of the top eight. Uh, I don't know who else was running it, but in my small sample size today, just looking at you know this single single elimination last chance qualifying that was happening today, um, that was the one Urian deck we didn't see. Um, you know, where, where people were playing like an Esper Urian deck and people were playing the Bant Urian deck and people were playing, you know, all sorts of stuff. But we, we didn't actually see the Jeskai one with the sort of polymorph effect from Luca. Oh, actually, okay. you know what? I'm sorry. We saw one today. We did see one today. And then he lost because he sided out a third copy of Agent of Treachery. Like, trying to must have figured, like, oh, when would I ever need a third copy? But and had, then he found decided, that one. I went, went to go get it and was like, oops. And then couldn't keep the cycling player off of a fourth land and then just got domed with uh, Lightning Helixes. I got, you know, see if it's for the next two turns. Yeah. I, I'm generally pretty skeptical about cheating the third agent out of the deck in that situation. Like the fourth agent, I understand, but the third agent, let's be careful. <laughs> yeah. Sideboards side definitely betray. Sideboards definitely be Go ahead. Sorry. I'm just saying it's not even that bad a card to draw. It's just like. Right. It's a perfectly reasonable magic card. People play it for value. Like, there's no reason to be this stubborn about it. Because, like, what if you draw one of the two agents? Now you only get one, right? Right. Reasonably often, you draw one of two, one of two copies, and then your Luca really doesn't produce the kind of value you're looking for, right? That second trigger definitely matters. So, like, if you need to go get the third one, then you're a little bit unlucky that you needed three searched out of your deck. But like, you can't reliably search out two without having three. <laughs> Yeah. Even with 80 cards. Yeah. But yeah, I have some uh, I have some things I'm, I'm thinking about. I definitely want to make more use of this migration path thing that nobody is trying to use. It seems like a, a sad thing to not have abused. <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to do with that? Get to seven. Okay. Um, I'm thinking like decks with lots of ultimatums maybe. But we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what's a lot of ultimatums? More than four, right? Like four copies yes. of one and then some of something else. Because mana is, mana is free and you just don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're already playing Grove Spirals and you're already playing, you know, Uro and you already have like a lot of ways to get more lands out. The, the main problem I have is that uh, immersion ultimatum and fires of invention aren't friends. Okay, why is that? Because fire fires of invention won't let you play both the cards you get from immersion ultimatum. Oh, ultimatum. Got it. Right. 
right? right. So you can't do that because all you get is the second best card out of three for seven, which is a for, for seven lands in play, which is a crappy deal. So you want others, but yeah, there's a lot of good things to do with a lot of mana. You know, so I'm sure we can figure out something. <laughs> I'll put it that way, right? I'm sure we can figure out something. What so, so the one deck that we're seeing, and there are two different flavors of it without a companion are teamer decks. We've seen teamer rec continue to do pretty well, and we've seen teamer clover continue to be a part of the metagame. I don't know how well it's done. Um, what, what can the teamer decks do to close the gap uh, on companions? So my honest answer on Teamer Clover is give up the ghost target. I, I could be wrong, but this deck is about the same power level as the decks before they got companions, and then the decks got companions, and you didn't get any help. Right? Like, one of his reclamation, you got Shark Typhoon. This is a good story, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have Shark Typhoon, we don't lose to Teferi the way we used to lose to Teferi, because we can end step, cycle Shark Typhoon, untap, kill the Teferi, win on our end step. Right, or we can use our extra mana to Shark Typhoon, even if you have a Deferi into that. So you've told me a story where you also have like these extra four X spells in your deck, so that you don't you don't just flood out after starting to go off like you used to do significantly more often than people wanted to admit when they liked the deck. The deck is a lot better with Shark Typhoon. Like it yeah. would be even even if you put fifty four cards with four Shark Typhoons, it'd be much better. So, and you don't have to do that. And at that point, you might as well play eighty cards and get four Shark Typhoons, right? Is not what people do, but you know, I am surprised that it's not seeing more traction. I would say, like those decks shouldn't need to have wilderness recognition to have a good time, right? Right. It's, you know, it's great when you have your drugs, but you should be able to just stay sober and, and still. <laughs> okay, right? You have enough other things going on? Question mark. But and then you get a free four or five. But again. It's just a free four or five, you know, how many, but and you can play Omen of the Sea and you can play Omen of the Hunt and like, you know, I'm probably curious why Omen of the Hunt, by the way, isn't being played more than sure. I'm seeing. Like the idea of turn three, Omen of the Hunt, turn four, Yorian, right? Redo the Omen of the Hunt and the Omen of the Sea. Now I have, now I get my on six. Next turn I have seven, I play Agent of Treachery or something like that. Right. Right. And agent seems crazy in those decks. So like maybe we should just be maybe you just play like four. I mean, I'm talking about getting to seven on turn four, right? I got four agents of treasury in that deck. I've got a Yorian. <laughs> that's my question. Many, turn four turn four agent, turn five Yorian. By the way, the more important question is how many main deck Yorians do you play in that deck? Oh. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> legendary is a problem, right? Like sure. being legendary is annoying. Um I mean, it doesn't mean we won't necessarily play Fasa. Sure. I mean, maybe we are serious. I don't. I, I don't claim not to be serious. <laughs> we. But, uh, yeah, we, we saw we saw we saw an Esper deck today that was not Doom Foretold. It was a Yorian Esper deck, and it was just all value. And so they played. Not only did they play Omen of the Sea and Omen of the Sun for just Yorian value. They also played Omen of the Dead, um, 
they had multiple, you know, additional copies of Yorian in the main deck. So how, what are they getting back of Omen of the Dead that lets them, like, deploy that and then, like, get good value out of it, right? Instead of getting back Yorian. I am trying to remember... I'm trying to remember if they had what they got back. It was something pretty reasonable. But... Yeah, you can always you can always get back your euro, but like that only works. That's not enough, right? You need more. Right. I, I feel like they might have also had Luris in the deck and gotten back a Luris, but like the Luris decks could all just be blurring together into one nightmare. Yeah, I don't buy this as Luris. That seems not right. Right. Well, this was this was Esper colored, so it wasn't hard. It wouldn't have been hard for them in this deck to to pull off. Yeah, I mean, I'm imagining a Soul Tie or Soul Tie Plus monstrosity yes. myself right now. That's just going to go for a lot of ridiculousness. Yeah, you know, it is hard to say. Um, I, I think there's a lot of cool things one can do in the world if one, yeah. Just goes for it and does not care. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll probably end up playing something reasonably aggressive, or I'll play the Luca into into treachery thing because I'm comfortable with it, and I'll get through it. But I don't think I'm going to play much constructive aside from preparing for that and playing that. I I feel like it's not standard. Isn't banned like Legacy or Vintage, where the, the formats have been obliterated. But it has been taken over by these stupid companion cards. And yeah, it feels like the, I mean, to say it's the COVID-19 of magic, like everything <laughs> is terrible and nobody's actually talking about what it takes to squash it. <laughs> like nobody's willing to actually do the thing necessary and ban the activities that we really need to ban in order to solve our problem and get back to our previous state. And so we just go on suffering and suffering and life is just terrible. Yeah, by, by the way, uh, you were asking about whether the Yorian Jeskai Fires deck was everywhere. It was Oliver 2 did win the event with the deck yeah. as well. So Nasif was top eight and Oliver won the thing. And... Uh, just taking a look at the top eight lists here. There's, yeah, this is Jeskai Yorian. This is Jeskai Yorian. This is Racto Sacrifice. This is Jeskai Yorian. So that's. Yeah, no, this yeah. is not. Yeah. Perhaps we can improve on it, but it's ridiculous got it yeah i mean I'm, I'm curious to try some uh enhancements but yeah yeah no it, it, it's definitely a pretty sweet deck it feels like it's able to play in multiple modes you know it's able to play in like a combo mode where sometimes they just untap on turn five play uh you know slam a luka sack a token and you know, you're just so far behind the eight ball that we saw people just hitting the concede button in response to a Luca activation. Um, but it, but it also it also gets to play as a you know like a mid range deck or even as a control deck. So it was it was really uh, 
It was it was really a sweet deck. I mean, certainly you're going to need to get some reps against it at the very least. Oh, definitely. I, mean, I think I understand what it can do, but I definitely my brain had had a hard time wrapping its head around the fact that the companion's always there and like is always a threat. And the game is inevitably moving towards this end, and my life will just be suffering. <laughs> but <laughs> it's fine. I, I draft will always be cool. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a draft format in a few months. I can play that for sure. You can uh, uh, you can draft with bots now for Icoria. I wonder how good the bots are at cutting out the cycling. <laughs> Not that I want to draft with bots, right? Like I, I'm, I'm so over bots. Right. It, it's. I certainly prefer not to worry about that. I think we're at the point where the people are doing a slightly better job of keeping you off the cycling deck than the bots. I tried, I tried one bot draft and definitely got a 14th pick Draneth Healer. Right. Uh, and, and got yeah. like a fifth pick Zenith Flare, so. Yeah, these things should not happen. You know, 14th pick cycling one no text is like already an off, already offensive to the E and Draneth Healer has actual text. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, I have, but I have gotten that also in, you know, people drafts but not in the last week really like the last week has really um seems to have gotten a little more normalized in terms of what you can and can't do uh with the cycling deck at, at the draft table yeah i debated should i just force my way to mythic in the first few days of the month before everybody catches up so that i'm mythic and i was like no no my life is too valuable if it's not around later it's not around later i don't need to do this again it's fine I get my yeah, I get my one shot. And if I feel like it, I'll get another one. But only if I feel like it. I hope to have work to do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I hope to have much more important things in my life. And I hope that it can be game related. <laughs> yes. yes. Getting there. Yeah, I mean we're 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 attempting to return to normal. I have attempted my first baller grocery delivery. Okay. Oh, who did you, uh, who was your baller grocer of choice? I chose Chef's Warehouse for my first attempt. Oh, nice. Okay. So I, uh, I ordered their, um, their Kansas City strips and their ribeyes and their Wagyu uh, burgers for the grill and their, like a, and their lamb roast. Oh, wow. That's my first attempt because I'm not paying $35 shipping. I don't know about anybody else. <laughs> I already had you saying it was, you know, good quality. So I just got to exact, it's two, I, I ordered for $250 and like 35 cents or something. I got it exactly. <laughs> I, I have, uh, I've, I've used them twice now, have not had any problem getting to the $250 mark. Um, and that's without getting any of the, I don't, I just don't have the freezer space for like crazy meat orders, but I've done, I've gotten a, a good amount of fresh produce from them. Did manage to find room for a five-liter tub of gelato in the freezer, which uh, seemed pretty important in a world without ice cream. Yeah, we're we've been hagen dazing, so yeah. we don't we don't seem to have any problem getting that from the local shop, right? So that's fine. So instead, what we're doing is we're ordering mainly beef, so that we can you know have our four days of beef and then freeze down a moderate amount of it afterwards without trouble. Right. And then if that works, then we talk about next time. We have been actively consuming previously frozen meat 
in the last few days to make room in the freezer. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my what, what I did get from them last time is I got like a giant load of chicken wings and, <laughs> and did um, I do a banchan style chicken wing, which is oven fried and actually comes out crispier than nice. frying. You use yep. a little bit of baking powder in your seasoning mix and you toss the wings with baking powder, salt. You know, I use a little granulated garlic, some, some Aleppo pepper, some other stuff. And you let it sit on a cookie tray, like a cooking sheet, in the refrigerator for 24 hours. And the baking powder really pulls all the moisture out of the chicken skin, almost like the way uh, Peking duck works when they let a, a, a Peking duck hang in Chinatown, right? You know, where you know it pulls all the moisture out of the skin and then you just cook it in this super hot oven, uh, 450 degrees for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes on one side, and then you turn it another 20, 25 minutes. And what you end up with is this super crispy skin that feels like it's been fried, but has not. And then you, you know, get your garlic soy or your spicy chili or whatever sauce you like of your choice and toss the wings in that. And it's kind of like a, a Bonchon-ish experience. Yeah, we thought about the wings. We decided to go a different route, but we'll definitely keep that in mind for next time. Yeah, I mean, you're 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 going Wagyu. You're 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 not you're not suffering here. We're not messing around. I mean, the first <laughs> the first big thing is like I finally got a house, and I'm like I'm getting a grill. I'm immediately getting a grill, and I'm going to use this thing once a week. I, I'm definitely not going to let this thing go to waste. Right. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. That's 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 a really nice thing to have right now. Yes. If you're not grilling, you're making a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're an actual vegetarian, you're just making a mistake. Yeah. Oh, even even if you're a vegetarian, vegetables I mean, are great on the grill. I mean, yeah, I mean I, I don't know anything about that, but that makes sense. <laughs> Probably just worth it anyway. But yeah, growing is awesome. I've been growing lots of mainly lots of burgers, some steaks. You know, we'll we'll see where it progresses from there. But I've been very excited by the whole business. I'm still, you know, obviously eating much worse than we were at home. We were back home, but you know, we make our own bread. We're we're finding good sources of most things. I get my wife's cooking a lot. I'm I'm pretty happy. And otherwise, you know, the internet's the internet. Yeah. So. That's the that's the one thing I have not been able to get myself to do during this. I mean, I've done a lot of cooking, but I just I other than like cookies and other desserts i don't enjoy baking i don't have that i don't have the bed bread baking gene like i i can do it i used to make bread all the time when i was younger i just don't i don't know what it is uh it seems to be like i'm the only person you know in my friends you know extended friend and family network who's not making their own bread right now i feel very uh you know very guilty about this so, yeah, we, um, what we did it was we have this book called Artisan Bread in Five Minutes a Day. Yeah. Uh, and it basically lets you make this very simple recipe that then you can use several times over the course of the next month. And it's not that much effort. And so the cost of making bread has just gone radically down to the point where it's mostly just me worried about how much I overeat every time you make fresh bread. <laughs> That, that, is, that is the downside of fresh bread. Also the downside of cookies and other 
baked goods, but yeah. Yes, we haven't gotten the cookies yet because we've been distracted by other possibilities, but we will probably in a week or two. We keep making brownies or cupcakes or cakes instead, so. Well, let me let me ask you a question. Uh, what what have you guys been? What have you been watching? What what uh, what's your entertainment uh, shows? What what have you been what have you been consuming for TV? So I have been in retro mode um, recently in terms of just so. First of all, Community is on Netflix now. Okay. So we have been watching one episode a night. For a while now, we're in season two. We've been preserving it because there's only you know there's only three seasons before it gets weird, right? But those first three seasons are the most amazing television ever produced, on par of anything else. Wow. My, yeah, and I'm not. I don't have a clear just number one exactly. I have a group of six, but it's it's easily easily in that group. Okay. Um. So I'm very much enjoying my second pass through the show. And Lara is loving it. So we, we sort of think of that as our guaranteed, like, amazing time, anytime we want. Um, we've been watching our way through Star Trek Next Gen as well, okay. which we finally got around to seeing. And it holds up really well, mostly. Like, you know, the first, the first season obviously drags, but it also lays a lot of groundwork. So you can sort of, if you know what's coming, it, it makes it a lot more tolerable. And then once you get to season two, it's a lot better. And then each season has its own identity. It's interesting. Like season two is the season where they figure out what's season two is where you grow the beard. Season three is the awesomeness. Season four, <laughs> season four is the groove. Season five is the dark. Season six is the comic relief, <laughs> which is where we are right now. Okay. And then, well, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. <laughs> and then yeah, I watched. I watched Next Generation and Deep Space Nine when they were on and, and watched them pretty regularly and, you know, have a, have a pretty good sense of the timeline across those shows. You know, not, uh, not with the clarity of someone who's had the opportunity to binge them, right? Just sort of consume them on a, on a, weekly, on a weekly basis as they were on. But I've never, I've never gone back and watched Voyager. Yeah, I... I watched it when it was on, large portions of it, but I lost the thread before the second, the back end of it. And I'm curious about a bunch of the stuff that I, I've heard happened in the back end of it. Uh, and also, uh, Seven of Nine is on Picard, so. Right. Yeah. You have to have do you, it. Now, now, have you watched Picard yet, or are you saving Picard for the end of your rewatch? I'm saving Picard for at least after next year, okay. at a minimum. And the question is, are we going to do Voyager or not? And secondarily, are we going to do Discovery or not? Because I suspect that it's going to depend on Discovery. Right. But that's a spoiler in and of itself, right? To some extent, whether or not. So, so I'm in the minority, I think, for a lot of Star Trek fans. I really like Discovery. I I really enjoy it. I don't know. I don't even want to get into what you know, canony stuff and time. I just enjoy it as a self-contained entity of television as a science fiction show that certainly resembles resembles Star Trek to me, if not, you know, if not passes the, you know, Voight-Kampf test for Star Trek. Yeah, basically, I, I have high hopes for when the time comes, but because it's on CBS All Access, I have decided that I'm going to wait until I'm done with the other stuff first, and then, right. you know, consume it, and then 
Hopefully it's good. If not, we can always bail. I have reasons to be suspicious. But, <laughs> you know, it could be good. Could definitely be good. Uh, every, everyone on it's fantastic, right? Like, it's, I, 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 just I think the cast is spectacular. I, that much I believe. And I said, yeah. like, I have, you know, some reasons to be suspicious. And we'll find out at some point whether I should have been suspicious or not. <laughs> now, maybe not. It's, maybe it's fine. But I, I, I suspect just based on like a sampling of other people I know and sort of their reaction discovery based on their um, regard for the original series and subsequent series that came out is that you are more likely to be a zero than a one in your grade for discovery. Interesting. Yeah, in my mind, if a show is good, I'm going to make it a one, even if I don't appreciate it as much as some other people. Okay. But we will see. Um, yeah. So, I mean, those are the two mains, I would say, but we're also, so we're, we're still not quite out of Bojack Horseman. Oh, okay. Uh, we're into the last season. Okay. But we're not quite there. Uh, we're, we've been watching Tiger King because you kind of have to. <laughs> Tiger King, just they just announced yesterday that the filmmakers from the show American Vandal are going to yeah. be doing a scripted Tiger King series with Nicolas Cage playing Joe Exotic. I have never been more in to anything <laughs> than I am in this. This <laughs> is the internet consensus, I believe. <laughs> I am all in. <laughs> That is amazing. Uh, yeah, so that those are. Um, I just started Counterpart. Okay. Yesterday. So that's looking promising so far. Yeah, um, I, I fell off of Counterpart. I watched a little bit of Counterpart, uh, and it was it was a little slow going. I was willing to stick with it to see where it went, and then I forget how. However, I was accessing the episodes at that time. Um, may have been on like an airplane and then I didn't have Showtime when I got home and I never went back to it but yeah, I do have Showtime time. now and have been kind of crawling through there is it Showtime or is it Cinema? It's Amazon well, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's on Amazon now okay it's on Amazon now so you definitely oh, have oh okay well, yeah, I might go back and watch that yeah. and also I've, I've been um, working my way through the Arrowverse okay it's remarkably hard to avoid spoilers and not from the outside. Like, <laughs> really annoying. Like, when I got to the season two finale of Flash before I finished the same time season of Arrow, and then a character shows up, and then someone comments that somebody is something, and yeah. I was really super pissed because it kind of ruined the entire emotional arc of the season, and I kind of knew it was going to. Yep, the shows the shows really want you to be watching them synchronously. Certainly more than anything Flash and Arrow did. But that was Flash and Arrow. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. But in yeah. general, like the CW shows, those CW Arrowverse shows do kind of demand, because of crossovers and sometimes just guest appearances, really want you to be synchronous across them. Yeah, I've been, what I've been doing is I've been waiting until there seems to be some sort of crossing. And then catching up with the other one. But it would be really crazy to go like one, 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 one. 
right? You just, it's just whiplash, right? You want right. to be in this vibe of, okay, now everybody's a metahuman and we're just zipping around and we're worried about time, the implications of time travel. And now, no, we have arrows and we shoot at people. <laughs> and, and like, we are dealing with, you know, the ethical implications of exactly what respect for the law we should have and blah, 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 you know, et cetera, et cetera. And gosh, and I mean, there, there's still some very, the, the, the ethics of the people who are supposed to be the heroes are not great. <laughs> I mean, every, basically every single character on in the Arrowverse, like every single like, like lead character runs their own private off-book prison for supervillains. Sometimes. Sometimes they send superpowered characters to Iron Heights. <laughs> right, and sometimes they just don't use it when they really should. Like when they let like villain of season just be arrested. And then, like, you know, the very bad things happen as a result of this, or almost happen. And also just the number of times when, because somebody they are emotionally involved with is in some danger, they literally endanger the entire world. Oh, sure. Or in the Flash cases, the entire multiverse. Oh, yeah, no, no. Nobody in, nobody in the Arrowverse has ever seen Star Trek II or Ethicon. Nor have they ever heard of scope sensitivity. <laughs> it's like, there's actually an, an established principle, which many characters have said, which is, no, if a villain threatens somebody you love, you are supposed to give them actual anything that they want. Despite the fact that they can then threaten someone else that you love again tomorrow. Like, you don't even make the deal. Like, like Zoom is like, this person will die unless you do X that makes me much more powerful. And they're like, okay, it'll make you much more powerful. Okay, I will not kill this other person unless you do Y. But Y might lead to the destruction of the multiverse. Eh, maybe it won't. <laughs> we should give him Y, too. <laughs> I mean, it's completely insane. I've, uh, I, the CW shows, I've, I've pretty much wound down on them. I mean, Arrow's over. I, I still will... Like Flash and Supergirl will pile up on my DVR, and I'll, I'll I'll kind of kind of like draft my way through them from time to time to catch up. Um, I really like Black Lightning a lot. I think Black Lightning's the strongest out of the shows left. Uh, I Legends of the Legends of Tomorrow I'm told is fantastic now, but it kind of. I just was over overwhelmed by those shows. Like there was too many of them. Yeah, so I, I, I can't wait to get back to Legends. But in fact, I'm going to watch Legends. I'm going to watch at least some of the beginning of Legends over again now that I know who all the characters are, as opposed to like these random people were showing up and like, oh hey, right. Yeah. Here's the here's the thing though. The shows on the DC whatever the DC app is called, but like Universe, I believe. Yeah, DC Universe. Those shows are so good. Um, Doom Patrol is probably my favorite superhero TV show to date. I love it. I can't wait for season two. I think Titans is shockingly good, right? Like it was definitely had that, hey, we're doing a dark and gritty version of these, you know, teenage superheroes you loved. And it is dark and gritty, but it also has this weird lightness to it at the same time and captures a lot of what made Teen Titans such a 
seminal comic book for me when I was in junior high school, high school era. Um, and it, I, th I think is, is really well done. And I'm really excited to start watching the Harley Quinn animated series. I received like some kind of just crazy all caps text from Flores the other day. He's like, oh my God, are you watching this? It's so outrageous. And I have friends who've you know, been very intimately involved with the Harley Quinn arc of the character. My friend Jimmy is, is one of the co-writers of the Harley Quinn book and has really influenced the direction that Harley's gone. So I'm really excited to watch that show as well. So th those sh that app has actually, I've gotten a ton of value. And I just started watching season two of Titans and I'm about to, to jump onto uh, the Harley Quinn animated series next. Yeah, I, I briefly did subscribe. I did watch a few episodes of Doom Patrol. Didn't get the same level of excited probably because i don't have the same kind of background as a lot of that that you do but oh yeah there's there's definitely there's definitely some payoff for being a in the weeds comic book fan and some of the dialogue and some of the and some of the shtick that they do on that show yeah i i'm definitely not sufficiently in the weeds or at least wasn't at the yeah. time yeah and <laughs> i'm a little more in the weeds than i was but yeah. Not, those weeds grow. They grow, those weeds. Oh, they, they're slow, but they, they grow on you a little bit at a time. I really <laughs> tried, man. Like a lot of the, uh, it's, it's, it's not, they don't make it easy on you sometimes. They, they make it difficult. Um, yeah, Harley Quinn, like my entire experience of Harley Quinn is like a few, a few offhand references and the Birds of Prey movie, which, you know, it's not that I had a bad time, but I just felt maybe met us sad the whole, the whole time I was <laughs> That it wasn't better. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm looking forward to um, yeah I'm I'm looking forward to watching Birds of Prey. I haven't I haven't seen that yet either. All right, then I won't say anymore. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, I, I I've 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 taken in a lot of different opinions uh, about it. So, um, you know, I, I I'm aware of some of the criticisms and some of the adulation for it on both sides. So I, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to watch it. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, excited by, I, I can sort of take some joy in the performances too, without having it be, you know, the movie can be, uh, I, I think Margot Robbie is just fantastic and everything she does. So I'm always happy to just watch a Margot Robbie movie, even yeah, if I, it's not that good. Yeah, to be clear, she, I had no problems with her performance. It yeah. was what she had to work with. Right. Yeah. And so and the other thing we're watching is a lot of Disney movies, basically. Oh, okay. Well, because the kids are at home all day. Right, yeah. Right? So we have to put on something reasonably often or go crazy. And, you know, you got to make a choice. So, I mean, they're not bad the first time for the most part. Right? It's just a matter of how many times a five-year-old wants to watch the same movie. <laughs> so, you know, if we had certainly more kid-friendly stuff, would be highly welcome if there were reasonable things. Well, I am told that uh, all of Avatar The Last Airbender starts streaming somewhere on May 15th, right? Yeah, I mean, we already bought at least season one. Right. Uh, yeah, I think Laura, my wife was unimpressed, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I had it in my second tier and she didn't, she's like, why did you have this so high? Like, it's fine. You know, it's like watchable kid stuff, but like, I don't understand. And like, when I was watching it the second time, I was like, yeah, it does seem like it's not quite as good as I remember it, but 
I'm also just not the same level of focused on it. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, people, you know, I made a joke about being scared of running out of television, which I'm, I'm not scared of running out of television, but you know, I made a joke about that on social media and people were like, well, have you watched Avatar The Last Airbender? And multiple people seem to have it in their top five or top 10 shows of all time, right? No, you know, no subset, right? They're just like, yeah, no, this is one of my, you know, top 10 things of all time. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious to give it, a, give it a full watch through. Yeah. At least, at least dig through the first season. I watched some of it in the past, but I don't think, again, I think if you didn't, you don't watch it all the way through, it doesn't, it doesn't hold up. Yeah, you gotta watch. You, you, a lot of the reason it's so good is because it really is a coherent unit, and it has a plan, and it builds on it, and it has a structure, and so on. But yeah, I think I effectively had it somewhere around number twenty-five uh, on my list, and probably think that's a good hot. But we'll see. What's your? What is your number one? So, I have a list of six at number one, which is a cop-out, so I have to make a choice. Right, I fully acknowledge that, so give me a second to, to think about that. I mean, traditionally, I said The Wire is a cop-out. I think it's social. I think that, obviously, like, there are reasons why it's not, you know, you have to decide for what purpose, right, whenever you say what's the best, but I think legitimately The Wire is that good. Um, I'd say, yeah, The Wire is my number one drama, followed by The Americans Breaking Bad. And okay. then on the sitcom slash comedy side, it's a three-way heat between The Good Place, Community, and uh, Coupling. What was the last one? Coupling, the, the UK Coupling. Oh, okay. I've watched that. Yeah, that's the Stephen Moffat show. Yeah, I think that's probably in third. Having oh, wow. Recently, but, I mean, they're all amazing. Like, they're all ridiculously smart they're all like just rapid fire like just constantly giving you something to just process and like your mouth is just like ga gaping open like every <laughs> and like, oh my god they went there oh my god that's so exactly correct you know that kind of thing over and over and over again and i would say community burns brightest but definitely has to account for its, its back half right whereas the good place Mostly stuck the landing. Yeah, and, I have I have I have good places pretty cleanly. My favorite sitcom of all time. Yeah, so I think the good place probably probably beats that community for number one. I do think it's close. Um, I have more of a problem with the ending than you do because of, but that's philosophical, not in terms of like quality. Sure, sure. Right, like, but like with other with other shows, you wouldn't be having this conversation. Where I'm like, well, I think their approach to the uh, <laughs> value of immortality is questionable, and therefore I can't really put them as my best, my favorite show. It's like, what? I'm watching Star Trek, where their response to the potential for immortality is not noticing. Like, literally, <laughs> Star Trek, like, it's a, like, you, a drinking game would be to read through summaries of episodes of Star Trek, The Next Generation, and drink every time there's a word, a, a, Technology can transform the entire federation that they just don't notice. They just don't even talk about it. It's just there. And they just ignore it and move on. Yeah. I, I am not sure how to categorize Bojack Horseman, but Bojack is certainly in the running for it, it's it's certainly in my top five, six shows of all time. 
Um, but I, I, I just wouldn't know, I wouldn't know how to distinguish it between a comedy and a drama because I know it's supposed to be a comedy, but it's not. I mean, I, I would put it in the in the in the comedic section of my awards, my sure. ranking, even though I understand it's a hybrid. I would say, like, look, it's ridiculously clever, consistently hilarious, very insightful, but like, I kind of hate my life when I'm watching it reasonably often. <laughs> right? What, That's a problem. What, when you get done, I'll send you a link to a video that talks about the final episodes of The Good Place and the final episodes of BoJack Horseman and, and uh, contrasts them. It's, it's, it's a really interesting discussion. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting thing. Like, yeah, the problem with Bodek was just like, I kept being like, Bodek's so good, I should watch it. And I don't want to. <laughs> I hate myself for the next half hour, right? Like, yeah. feel bad after feel bad after feel bad after feel bad. And yeah. like, they're earned, but that doesn't mean they're not real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty relentless. Uh, I, I also have the Americans in, in my top, top list. I have, I don't have Breaking Bad in my top five. It's probably outside of my top 10 um, because I feel like the first season, first maybe even two seasons, I, it, it, it comes of age in an era just before prestige TV really starts to change the way TV seasons are made and the way TV is, is shaped. And like it's, struggles with the length of the season and uh, you know it's just it's not and and the problem is it's hard for me to put it ahead of better call Saul, which to me better call Saul is one season away from being the best tv show of all time full stop you keep saying it's you keep saying that and i has i still haven't gotten there um lar's not interested which makes it tough like, but yeah, the problem with Breaking Bad is the same problem with Bojack, right? Which is that, like, <laughs> yes, consistently after an episode of Breaking Bad, it's like, wow, that was amazing, and also I kind of hate myself right now. And I feel <laughs> bad about the world, you yeah. know. And, and it, it, it's hard to do that, you know, and you get episode after episode after episode. So. <sighs> Yeah, another another show for me that's that's near my that's somewhere between top five and top ten, you know, quite possibly top five still is Justified, which is just one of my favorite shows, and and I don't think it is as substantial as a lot of other shows that you would put into your top list. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's but man, do I, I, I love it. I love the way it's written. I love the way it's made. I love the characters on it. Like, it's just, to me, it's just like, I could just, you know, if I turn on the TV and there's an episode of Justified on, I'm going to like plop back in the couch. I'm going to put my feet up and I'm going to watch it. And I don't care. I'm just going to be super happy. Right. I love, I'm a huge Elmore Leonard fan, which is the source material. And uh, it also has probably the single best introduction to a character in a first episode. Like the the whole series is set up within the first 10 minutes of the first episode and you understand exactly who your character is and you kind of like get a a real sense of of what you're in for. And uh, not that many shows can do that piece of characterization that effectively. So that's also in my list, but... That's I'm like you. I, I I have a hard time 
really like once you get near that top, right? There's a, there's a lot of shows to pack into top five level. So it, you know, it ends up being like six or seven shows right at the top for me. Right, and then I have a list of twenty nine shows. I looked at it in my second tier, and I don't even try particularly in my original list to differentiate between them. Right. Obviously, I I could in a pinch, but you know, there's there's a lot there, and we're not going to run on TV. Like I, should I be doing season three of Westworld? The things I've been hearing are so bad. Uh, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I I we just finished it up. Uh, I really enjoyed season three. I I think it is totally very different than what you got out of season one and season two. Um, I was, you know, I I was pretty happy with it. Okay, I just, I, I've seen multiple people who basically like don't even talk about television or in their audience about season three. Interesting. And we happen, uh, I mean, yeah, we happen to have been moving at the time, so we did yeah. have a briefly. It, it, like, it feels a lot more like a science fiction show, weirdly, than it has the first two seasons. Right? There's a lot of like, there's a lot of tech, a lot of real. It's uh, to me the I, I also am just drawn in by the whole achievement of the show, which is again the the depth of the the quality of acting, the you know visual fidelity to the whole show that, you know, like seeing these like crazy things happening that they just make look, you know, look, they, they execute with like, you know, triple a blockbuster movie level, special effects, um, the sound, the music, like everything about it is just, um, perfect. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Nolan's. I was, I really loved person of interest which was his first TV show and played around with a lot of the same ideas he plays around with in Westworld. And also felt like, I felt like I got a lot of maybe person of interest fan service in season three of Westworld that maybe didn't work for some other people. Yeah. uh, Yeah. At some point I'll go back and I'll watch more of person of interest. I mildly enjoyed the parts I watched. It's, it's really good. The problem is, it is very much a network week to week procedural cop show on its surface. And as such, you have to slog through a bunch of episodes that are just, I'm going to solve the crime this week. I'm going to prevent the person from being murdered. Um, Whereas ultimately, but ultimately all of that masks this huge idea, science fiction TV show. I mean, I definitely don't want people getting murdered, so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the people, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, like, so there's some, there's, some super, there's some super cool stuff that they do on that show. Um, and there's some huge emotional moments on that show. But the problem is, again, it's, you know, it's that thing where it's 23 episode seasons with a lot of sag of just having to do uh, you know, an episode of the week and not necessarily getting into this story about an AI that is trying to impact the world, right? right. Which is ultimately what person it's, it's, it's about. You probably stop talking, right? Like at this yeah, point. yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, that makes sense. 
But like, there's look, there's there's obviously tons and tons of television to watch, and we're not going to run out of TV. It's more like the search algorithms will keep presenting things that we are less and less interested in. Sure. Right. So we have to be careful of that. But there's yeah. always stuff. Yeah, and there's, I mean, the, the, and the funny thing is, there's also like, you know, I was talking about this with someone, and then I was like, oh, here are a bunch of Irish TV shows that I think you'd like, right? And there's always UK shows that I haven't seen, like you mentioned, coupling, right? But there's a ton of like really good, you know, mystery and crime shows or slice of life shows from from England that you can watch, right? There's Irish shows. There's you know, you know, people have been talking about Korean. You know, we've seen a lot of talk about Korean movies, but there's also, you know, so there's no danger of ever running out of stuff, you know, uh, even, even thinking about stuff that, you know, you want to rewatch, like you talked about, like you could just go down like a crazy Star Trek rabbit hole and watch all the Star Treks over. And, you know, I wouldn't remember a ton of them. So. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious exactly when it would start to be a problem. If because of the pandemic, there was just no new production of media. Well, that was, that was the point. That was the joke I was trying to make when I was saying I was going to run out of TV there right. is no new TV being made right now. Right. That's with, 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 you know, other than some reality show stuff being done over Zoom, some repurposing of existing content with Zoom or Skype director's commentary and like one gimmicky TV show that's being made about agoraphobic detectives that solve crimes via group chat. Yeah, I tried to watch some of the Saturday Night Lives that are being made at home. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's not right. <laughs> it, it's not that they, like, it's not that it was necessarily particularly terrible. It's just there's something very wrong. Were you the person talking about the lack of a laugh track really being? That's uh, part of it. Like, you, a lot of, like, like you try to watch, like, Weekend Update without a laugh track. And it's just this bit doesn't work at all. This right. whole whole design is based on a laugh track. Without a laugh track, all the beats just don't work. Right. Yeah. You, know, you just you can't transition between jokes properly. Like you're not the right vibe. It just doesn't. That doesn't parse. Uh, you know, I noticed that watching a little bit of Stephen Colbert last night, and I haven't. I don't. You know, I haven't watched much talk show stuff or whatever. But watching Stephen Colbert and he's doing his monologue, and. Uh, you know, and, you know, goes going through some some news and playing some video of you know the president talking about something, and then you know interrupting and coming back and doing a joke. And if the joke's funny and you laugh, you don't really notice it. But in the points where the joke falls flat and you don't laugh, and you realize nobody's laughing, and you realize that he is still his delivery honed over decades of performing <laughs> is built around giving a pause for people to laugh or do something for the, and, and without like the forced studio laughter, maybe reinforcing that it, it, it was a very disconnected uh, feeling. It felt like really unusual. Like you were seeing like, almost like seeing the zipper on the monster suit, you know? Yeah. I, I decided if I want to watch that kind of thing, I will just watch the older stuff. Um, like my favorite talk show host of all time by far is Craig Ferguson. Sure. And enough of his shows are on YouTube that there will it'll be easy to find a new one if I ever just want to watch some new material. I will never run out. 
Okay. All right. Well, I've got to run out. And by run out, of course, I mean just go cook some chicken wings. Um, good luck this, you know, with your, your deck selections, V. Uh, excited to see what you pick. I'm sure you'll share it on Twitter, maybe stream the event uh, as you go through. But, uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll be back. This has been Top 8 Magic. I'm Brian David Marshall uh, with Hall of Famer Zvi Moshowitz talking a little bit about Standard and talking about uh, some of our favorite TV shows. Thanks for listening. All right.